Welcome to Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, where I drink, discuss, and discover the world of distilled spirits. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. This is episode 68, and I'm drinking Ouzo 12. With each episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, you should expect that I'll be well-researched and educational, also entertaining and consistent in my reviews. I chose to feature Uzo for this episode because I was at the liquor store, posted a photo of Sambuca and Uzo, and asked my Instagram followers which they would prefer. Uzo was the clear favorite, so ask and you shall receive. Also, as far as I know, I've never had Uzo, so this is new to me. But what is Uzo? It's a traditional Greek anise-flavored spirit that since 2006 has had a protected designation of origin recognized by the European Union. So Ouzo only comes from Greece today. The bottle of Ouzo 12 I have for the tasting is a standard 750 milliliters. It is 40% alcohol by volume, making it 80 proof, and it retails for $20. The bottle is clear glass. It's quite simple, but it does have a long neck, and if you listen to this podcast, you'll know I have an affinity for a long neck that you can carry the bottle with one hand. This fits the bill. The only real molded portion of the glass that lets you know it's a bespoke bottle is the 12 Ouzo in the base. A small front label is mostly beige with a large black 12 in the center, highlighted with some gold foil detail over what appears to be a Harbortown illustration. Below that is a red portion of the label with the word Ouzo in white letters. Then there's text that says, Since 1880, product of Greece, an anise-based aperitif. There's also a smaller label at the base of the front of the bottle. It depicts some barrels on either side with the butt end of a barrel centered in gold foil with the number 12 on it. Then there's some text, but it's all Greek to me. It's actually all Greek text, and I won't attempt to pronounce it. There's also a back label. It's the same size as the main front label. It has a very brief story of the brand along with the obligatory government warnings. There's also a branded label on the neck and a synthetic topper, I believe, at the top with the number 12 imprinted on it. Okay, let's go for a taste. I'm going to open this up. Again, plastic. Oh, there is a pole tab, a little pole strip. Got that. Plastic is necessary, but annoying. Okay, let's see if we get a good pop. Eh, It's a pop. It is a synthetic topper. Quite nice. As with all spirits on Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur, I will be tasting it neat, which is straight out of the bottle at room temperature, not diluted. For the tasting, I will use a clean Glencairn glass. It's an ideal tasting glass. So let's go for a pour. That should do it. And on the nose, just from the pour, it is potently black licorice flavored. The smell of anise, honestly, it's not necessarily something I'm looking forward to. It's not a flavor I seek out. (laughs) It smells everything like good and plenty candy. If you've ever had good and plenty candy, they're little black licorice pieces that are candy coated in a white and pink. For whatever reason, women seem to love the smell of good and plenty candy. There was a study done, I remember reading, that called that out as a favorite smell. So perhaps women would love the smell of Ouzo 12. (laughs) Taking a a whiff of it. That is all I get. It just is pure, pure licorice. There's maybe 
I get some brightness, and that may just be the ethanol, a little bit of a cooling effect. It doesn't burn. It's just a little cooling. It's, I don't know, there's fennel in this. I've heard this described as having fennel on the nose. Perhaps, but the anise just overpowers it. I can smell nothing but black licorice. Of course, in the glass, it is just clear. It looks like water. You can see some alcohol tears, and, you know, this might have some sugar in it. I couldn't quite verify that, but I believe it does have some sugar, so it appears perhaps a bit syrupy. Okay, let's go for a taste. Here we go. <laughs> hmm. It tastes better than it smells. I'll give it that. Oh, oh. no, the finish. <laughs> okay, I'm surprised. I don't really like this. The finish is bracing for me. There's some complexity when you're first tasting it. You get the anise. There's a little sweetness. There's some more herbaceousness to it, but it's just black licorice. Ah, it's It's got a long finish. I'm still tasting it. And on the finish, it's nothing but licorice. Okay, I'll give it another go. Just neat. Mm. Yeah, anise. It's hard to separate anything but anise flavor from it. That's all I really get. It's licorice, a little sweet. It does taste, for all the world, alcoholic liquid good and plenty candy and now is where i'm going to make an exception for my normal tasting i'm going to treat ouzo 12 the same way that i did absinthe i'm going to add some water the reason for that is ouzo 12 will louche or because it's ouzo it's referred to as the ouzo effect it is literally the same thing for the same reason just a different name what happens is i'm going to add some water to this clear spirit and the water will cause some essential oils that are naturally occurring in the spirit to come out of solution with the alcohol, and it will get cloudy and a milky grayish color. In absence, this is referred to as the louche. In ouzo, it's the ouzo effect. Same thing. You can listen to episode 50 on lucid absinthe for more on that. It's really quite interesting from a scientific standpoint because the essential oils are very hydrophobic, so they don't like water, but they are soluble in alcohol, so they are contained in the solution with the alcohol. When you add water, the hydration causes what's known as a spontaneous emulsification. So the essential oils come out of solution with the alcohol, but then they form an emulsification where they turn cloudy and milky in color. An emulsification is just a well-dispersed mix of two dissimilar liquids. Typically, oils and water don't mix, and the compounds would clump together, and you would have the oil floating on top. But these compounds, they come out of the suspension and don't coalesce, so they don't come together. They stay evenly dispersed throughout the liquid in a stable emulsification, and that's where you get the cloudy, milky look. So let's try it. Okay, to do this, I'm going to add some water over time. So I've got a little straw out of my glass, and we'll do a few drops. I can see some swirls. Only got one straw full. You need, oh, there it gets a little milkier. 
you've got to reduce the proof below about, I don't know, 35% ABV for it to come out of solution. Yeah, that last drop is getting more milky colored. In absinthe, you have an absinthe fountain that slowly drips it to kind of make it look nice. Here, I'm up to about four or five straws. That's really getting kind of cloudy. With Uzo and Uzo 12, it's a more casual drinking practice. Oftentimes it's simply consumed on the rocks or just poured water straight in. So there's no real pageantry or show to this. I've got, I don't know, six or so straws full of water and it is indeed cloudy, milky gray. I'm going to see if it uh, changed the flavor at all. So here we go. Oh, that improves it immensely. Oh my gosh, it is, it is drinkable. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you must drink this with water. At least I must. I'm sure plenty of people really enjoy Uso 12, just straight. I am not one of those. It's going to be with water. Yeah, it softens it. It just keeps the licorice from punching you in the face it you know it was just too much on my palate i enjoy bitter but i don't really enjoy the sharp licorice flavor but with water yeah it's kind of nice you get more of the sweetness out of it actually with the water added yeah it tastes much sweeter a lot less robustly licorice flavored yeah it's quite good with water so you can also drink it on the rocks i recommend try it neat you'll get you'll get the full flavor but uh, yeah, this is almost designed to have water added, so this may be as good as straight. So let's talk history. What's the origin story of Uzo? First, before I get into the brand story of Uzo 12, I need to provide some background on the category of Uzo, seeing as this is the first time I've covered a spirit in this category. Most sources will say that Uzo traces its roots back to the 14th century monks of Mount Athos in Macedonia, Greece, who created a high-proof spirit distilled from pomus, which is the leftover pressings of grapes from wine production, essentially pomus brandy similar to grappa. This spirit, named Tispero, has a few versions, but one was flavored with anise to presumably make it more palatable. But this anise-flavored Tispero is not Uzo. Uzo came into its own in the early 1830s following Greek independence, and the first recorded commercial Uzo distillery was founded in 1856. So Uzo as a category isn't as ancient as some other spirits, but it definitely has a history. So what separates Uso from Tisporo? Well, the fact is Uso is made not from pomace, but double distilled grape alcohol with additional herbs and spices added. It's a more refined spirit. The louche, or Uso effect, does not occur with Tisporo either. But how did Uso get its name? There seems to be no real consensus on this, but there are a few oft-cited theories. One that doesn't quite seem to sound right to me is that Uso comes from the Turkish word for grapes, Uzum. Close, but not quite right. The next two theories share the same origin, but it's debatable about what is referenced. The first version contends that as Uso became more popular in Greece, the domestic supply for anise was not enough to fulfill the various producers' needs. So anise had to be imported. This was imported from Sicily in jute bags. The bags would be stamped with an inscription, Anis Uso por Marseilla, which translates to Anis to be used in Marseille. 
Marseille in France used the anise for their own spirit, Petsy, and the Greek producers, in a bid to showcase the high quality of their ingredients, referred to the Italian inscription and stressed the word ouzo, which became the default for the Greek anise-flavored spirit, ouzo. I like this theory. It feels right to me. There's a firm connection between the ingredients and the spirit, and I can see how you could co-op another language's word to just simply refer to your product. So, I like this theory. But there's a second version of the same theory. In this second version, the product with Uso Marseille on it is not an import to Greece, but an export. And the export was silk being exported from Trivoyas to Marseille. And again, I should just state up front with every episode with language other than English. I'm going to try my best to pronounce it. I'm probably going to do a poor job most of the time. I do listen to how to pronounce various words and names to try and get them right. I think I'm pretty spot on with Tisboro, but could be totally wrong. Anyway, I digress. They were exporting silk to Marseille, and the inscription was stamped on the silk cocoons or the packaging, and in this version, Uso was applied to the spirit to co-opt the association with a high-quality product. Not related to spirits, we're talking silk, but it was high-quality. This version is retold more than the anise importation version, but it doesn't feel right to me. It seems tenuous at best that a strong connection would be made with silk exports, and the only reason, I think, is the city of origin, the city or town of Trivoyas, is where the first commercial Uso distillery was set up. But for them to have named their product after the Italian word for use, it could have just as easily been named Marseille, because that's where the product was going. And it doesn't really seem to hold water for me. The truth and origin of the name has probably been lost to the sands of time, and we can only speculate at this point. But that's the basic origin story of Uzo. So now, let's get on to this particular spirit, Uzo 12. And right off the bat, it seems like it should be named 12 Uzo due to how it's presented on the label. But it's not. It's Uzo 12. And that said, the 12 is significant. There's a clue on the front label, and it's the barrels. Uzo 12 was named for the version of Uzo served out of barrel number 12 at the brand's original distillery. This seemed to be clearly superior to the other barrels, and as word got out, customers seemed to have insisted that they be served from barrel number 12. But where did barrel number 12 come from, and where was it? Well, Uzo 12 was created in 1880 when the Kalyanis family opened a distillery in Constantinople, now Istanbul, Turkey. Greece and Turkey share a border and a distillation tradition featuring anise. In Turkey, their version is named Raki. More on that in a future episode, perhaps. But for Uzo 12, the Kalyanis distillery was experimenting with different blends of spices and barrels, and lucky number 12 was the winner that customers preferred. They then set all their production to match this recipe and flavor profile, and the brand was born. It's claimed to be the same recipe today, but production methods have evolved, so it likely tastes a bit different today than it did in the 1880s, even if it's using the same mix of ingredients. For some reason, the Kalyanis family moved themselves and their distillery west to the Greek town of Thessaloniki around about 1925. They quickly found success with their Uzo 12 there as well. And also around this time, the popularity of Uzo increased because it was viewed as an absinthe substitute. Again, I invite you to go back to listen to episode 50 on lucid absinthe for more history, but countries began banning absinthe near the turn of the century, and Uzo helped fill the void left in the market from absinthe's disappearance. 
And then in the early 1930s, an improved distillation method using copper rectifying stills was developed by Uzo producers, and this has become the standard practice. And this method likely improved the spirit. Seems times were good, and by 1950, the distillery bottled their Uzo for the first time. Apparently, they were the first brand to bottle their Uzo, it being sold bulk previously or straight from old barrel number 12, so to speak. But in 1950, they bottled it, labeled it, and made the 12 officially part of the name. In 1999, Grupo Campari acquired Uzo 12, and in 2004, they acquired the Katsiko Distillery in central Greece. They then heavily invested in upgrades and modernization efforts so that by the fall of 2005, Uzo 12 would be made at the refurbished factory, where it is still made today. As of 2016, Uzo 12 was the number one selling brand of Uzo worldwide, so it's likely available where you're listening. All right, let's talk about how it's made. Uzo 12 does not start with fermentation. No, it starts with a grape-based neutral spirit that's mixed with spices and copper stills. The ingredients include in part fennel, aniseed, star anise or anise, cardamom, nutmeg, and cinnamon, and perhaps some sugar. It's of course a secret recipe, so we don't really know exactly what's in it. From these ingredients, the essential oils that cause the ouzo effect are present, primarily in the fennel and the anise. This mix of neutral alcohol and aromatic seeds and spices is then distilled. The distillate is referred to as a ouzo yeast in Greece oftentimes to kind of impart the fact that it is the basis of ouzo, but there's no yeast in it. It's then distilled a second time to purify even more and perhaps more aromatics are added. The result is a spirit that's twice distilled, around 80% ABV, down from the 95 plus percent that started with the grape neutral spirit. The next step would be blending with water to bring the product to a bottling proof, not adding so much as to cause the whole batch to louche or ouzo effect, spontaneously emulsify. By law, ouzo must be bottled at a minimum of 37.5% ABV, but can be bottled up to 50%. Uzo 12 is 40%. Prior to bottling, the product is filtered and likely quality tested, but it's then packaged and shipped across the country and around the world. So on to cocktails and consumption. Ouzo is predominantly consumed on ice or with water. I would prefer it that way myself. Straight is another way, depending on how you like it. Uh, it's usually consumed with a meal. It brings out some of the flavors of small plates that you might have around Mediterranean diet. So you might have some fish or cheese or, you know, some rich foods or flavorful foods, I should say. And ouzo is well paired with those. It was viewed as an absinthe substitute for some time. I think it would overpower absinthe. But yeah, bartenders have experimented with it as an ingredient, so you can look up recipes if you like. But traditionally, you're consuming it just with water or ice. So in summary, what do I think of Uzo 12? It's a good product, but not my cup of tea. Uh, if I couldn't add water to it, wouldn't really like it. It's too licorice-y for me. I think licorice is the one flavor that just is not really what I like. I think it's maybe stems from childhood. You think of licorice as oftentimes candy. It's like the most disappointing candy. There's nothing worse than wanting something sweet and you get licorice. It's just, ugh. <laughs> So that's my view. Some people just love black licorice. Um, you know, I don't mind anise flavor. It's a little different than pure black licorice, but there's got to be so much in this Uzo 12 that, man, 
it it smells and tastes of nothing but and if you want just pure licorice flavor this is it but eh, this might this might sit on the uh, liquor shelf for a while and not really get drunk seems like a good product though nice story it's a product of greece eh, if i was in greece i would probably try a lot of different types it probably all tastes about like this though anyway give it a shot if you want to give it a try so that's going to do it for this episode of Liquor and Liqueur Connoisseur. I'm your host, Matt Burchard. Please subscribe and share. Show notes are on liquorandliqueurconnoisseur.com. You can also find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, your favorite podcast platform. I'm also on social media. My followers on Instagram were the ones that influenced the selection of this spirit. So follow me on social media. Reach out. I really love hearing from my listeners. If there's a spirit you'd like me to feature, do let me know. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>